chapter 23. Moving our way through this book, I am so enjoying teaching through this book. I hope you're enjoying what we're learning. Now would be a good time to say something. Yes, boy. <laughs> I didn't hear a thing, Pastor Mike. But uh, this book seems to ramp up and wind up, and here we're seeing David running from Saul at this point, and uh, the tempo of the pursuit increases, and we see David learning to rely on the voice of the Lord and the hand of the Lord and the favor of the Lord. Let's just thank God for the chapter, and then I'm going to have Sister Kim read it to you. Uh, Father, we thank you this morning that we can come to your word with a spirit of excitement, Lord, because we have the precious Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask today that you open up the word to us, open up our eyes, open up our minds, open up our hearts, so that we can receive the principles that you've tucked away in here, the gems, Lord, that are just for us, that Holy Spirit, you want to show us today. So we open up our hearts and our minds, and we purpose not to be hearers of the word only, but to be doers. And so, Father, as this message goes forth, as we hear about your servant David and the process it took to get him from the pasture to the throne, Lord God, we ask that you would teach us to pursue our destiny, Lord God, and to understand how you work in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. amen. Sister Kim, chapter 23. First Samuel 23. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are plundering in the threshing floors. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and deliver Keilah. But David's man said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go against Keilah, against the ranks of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once more, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Calah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. So David and his men went to Calah and fought with the Philistines, and he led away their livestock and struck them with a great slaughter. Thus David delivered the inhabitants of Calah. Now it came about when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Calah, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. When it was told Saul that David had come to Calah, Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he shut himself in by entering a city with double gates and bars. So Saul summoned all the people for war to go down to Calah to besiege David and his men. Now David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him, so he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, God of Israel, your servant has heard for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Calah to deliver, to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Calah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down just as your servant has heard? O Lord, God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Calah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Then David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Calah and went down wherever they could go. When it was told Saul that David had escaped from Calah, he gave up pursuit. David stayed in the wilderness, in the strongholds, and remained in the hill country in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Verse 15. Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life, while David was in the wilderness at Ziph at Horesh. 
And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horesh and encouraged him in God. Thus he said to him, Do not be afraid, because the hand of Saul my father will not find you, and you will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. And Saul my father knows that also. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed at Horesh while Jonathan went to his house. Then Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in the strongholds at Horesh on the hill of Hakalah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now then, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to do so, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. Saul said, May you be blessed of the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go now, make more sure, and investigate and see his place where his haunt is, and who has seen him there, for I am told that he is very cunning. So look and learn about all the hiding places where he hides himself, and return to me with certainty. And I will go with you, and if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. Verse 24, Then they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Moan, in the Arabah, in the Arabah to the south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David, and he came down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard it, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were surrounding David and his men to seize them. But a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid on the land. So Saul returned from pursuing David and went to meet the Philistines. Therefore they called that place the Rock of Escape. David went up from there and stayed in the strongholds at En Gedi. The chase is on. So many powerful things again happening here. We see David on the run and there's an uptick in the tempo of Saul's pursuit. Apparently Saul is so uh, just aggravated and upset with the fact that David is blessed of God and anointed to be the next king that he can't think about anything else in the kingdom except pursuing David. Now think about it. If you're the king of a kingdom, there's a lot of things to do. Just think about all the things you have to do in your house. Imagine if you're ruling a kingdom. Yet Saul pushes that all aside to chase David, which shows you the level of his obsession here with this one man. As if somehow, someway, his pursuit can undo the will of God that David take the throne at some time. And then it, this is like as, you know, many times we read things like this in scripture and we don't allow it to touch us. But think if you're David and you've got a, a whole nation looking for you, searching for you, and you're hiding. This is a high stake game of cat and mouse here. And it's like David is slipping through and the pursuit is on now. Saul has the numerical advantage. He has the big army. He has all the lookouts. He has all the people of Israel who don't know what's going on in the situation, who will blow David in and say, yeah, David's here. Now, we can't be so hard on the people of Israel because they don't know the inner workings of what's going on. All they know is that Saul is king and that David must have did something to make Saul upset. So, you know, they don't know whose side to take. And I want to just point out that many times in life, we're going to have people who should support us who don't because they don't know what's going, really going on in the situation of our life. And it's healthy for us to give them a pass and not to get angry at them because that anger will only consume us. 
There are many times in life where people who should support you don't support you because they don't know the intricacies of what's going on in the situation. So you and I have to learn to let those things go. In this situation, Saul has the, the eyes and the ears. He has the numerical advantage. He has all the men, all the army. David has a smaller footprint. He has a small little group, so he has stealth on his side. He's able to hide in little places, in little uh, you know, enclaves. He's able to hide himself and stay a few steps ahead of Saul. So we, we have there again David against Goliath. We have this little guy who is just hiding and sneaking and being stealthily. And the most important thing we need to recognize here is that God is on David's side. Now, it doesn't mean this is going to be easy. How many you know, of us think when God's on our side, that means it's going to be easy? You would think, right? We're going to find out that that's not necessarily true, and there's a purpose to it. Not that God just says, well, you know, I'll let him sweat a little bit. You know, he's annoying. My servant Rick is annoying. I'll let him suffer a little bit. Are you guys alive this morning? Even the people on vacation are laughing at that right now. Verse 1, David catches wind, you know, that the, the Philistines are plundering Kelah. And understand what's happening here. David's on, on the run for his life, yet his country is in trouble. Right. Now, how many would think, well, certainly this is not David's job at this point to defend the nation of Israel. That's Saul's problem. David's problem is staying alive. Yet David doesn't see it that way. And he sees that the Philistines uh, have attacked the city of Keilah and they're plundering. Now, Keilah was a fortified city within the lowlands of Judah. When you say fortified city, it means it had a wall, it had a garrison, it had bars. It was a citadel that was encased that could defend itself from attack on the outside. Now, the Philistines attacked the fortified city, and we're going to see uh, what they're up to there. But it says in verse 1 that they were plundering the threshing floor. And I want to explain to you what that means and the implications of that. They were, the threshing floor is where they brought grain to separate the grain from the stalk and the chaff and all that, to take the grain out and finish the, you know, get rid of the chaff and the straw and all that stuff and separate it so you would have grain. It was the finishing product of your harvest. Right. So this was the place where, you know, you would do all the work. You would plant, you would cultivate, you would grow, you would harvest, and then you would thresh the grain, and here's your finished product. Now, I want you to see what the Philistines do here. They come and they attack Israel there to steal from them their harvest. And you need to learn to see the fingerprints of the enemy all over that. See, that's the way the enemy is. He likes to attack you where you bear fruit. He likes to attack you where you're going to harvest. He likes to attack you and steal from you the work of your hands, the fruit of your life. Come on, Sunday morning. And the Philistines do just that. They come not and steal it when it's in the field. They don't harvest it themselves. They, don't, they take it when it's finished. And I want you to see that plundering nature that they have. They were dirty dogs. And they would hit you at the hardest point at the lowest moment. Now, I want, I want to say in our world today, we have nations, entire nations who are like that. Beware of the nation that's lazy and unproductive and then covets what others have. When you have la- nations that are lazy and they're also violent, they're the most dangerous of all. Come on, I'm just talking to you this morning. And we need to be aware that the spirit is still in the earth. And we have nations that they don't want to plant, they don't want to plow, they don't want to do the hard work themselves. They want to covet what others have produced. 
And it's the same demonic nature here that we see. They want to steal the harvest from Israel. In verse 2, David is really, uh, uh, he loves God and he loves his nation. He's a true patriot. He loves the people of Israel. Now, you know, there again, it, it shouldn't be something that I have to remind us of, but it's okay to love your country. That's right. Amen. 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 God's coming back to judge the nations. The Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Amen. Amen. We should be praying for the nations. We should be praying for our nation. (laughs) There's nothing wrong. Now, certainly David loves the people of God. He loves the nation of Israel. He's on the run for his life. Yet, you know, he takes the time uh, to express concern for his own people here. Now, Unlike Saul, Saul sees the people and the nation of Israel there to serve him and his ego. David's completely different. And I want to contrast the two. David sees himself as a servant of the people. You say, well, how do you know that? Because even when he's running for his life, he cares about the people of Kayla and he's willing to get involved to defend them. Uh, He is a true lover of Israel and God is pleased with that. Now, Understand, he wants to get involved and insert himself to help his countrymen. Why? Because they're being attacked. Now, how many would agree with me that that's a just cause? Amen? Amen. Three and a half people. You know, if somebody came in your house and started beating up your family members, you'd try and help, right? No, you'd just turn your iPod up, what? So here's David and he's seeing, here comes these guys and uh, you know, he wants to protect his countrymen and it's a just cause. But I want to say something. In verse two, we see a powerful uh, you know, part of David's integrity. It says, so David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go attack these Philistines? So let's just stop there for a second. Even though it was a just cause, even though it was something that we could absolutely say, surely you should insert yourself in there. Just because something is a just cause doesn't mean we should hastily jump in and get involved. You know, oh well, you know, and we get reckless, even as Christians, we get reckless and, you know, we insert ourselves in there. Maybe it wasn't our battle to fight. So David does what we should all do. He inquires of the Lord. Anytime we insert ourselves into any situation, even if it's a just cause, we should ask God if we should be involved in the first place. Come on, this will save us a lot of misery. (laughs) Have you ever been in a situation and you jumped in and now you're neck deep and you're like, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh, I wasn't supposed to be in this. I don't have the answer to this and I don't have the resolve to see it through. David inquires of the Lord. Now that's a smart thing for all of us to do. Yes, it was a just cause. Yes, his countrymen weren't in peril, but he wanted to know, God, is this my fight? And it says, shall I go attack the Philistines? Listen to what the Lord says. And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and deliver Calah. So God gives him the green light. This is the, good, this is the procedure here. We inquire of the Lord, we get an answer, and then we do what the Lord says. If the Lord says no, it's no. If the Lord says yes, it's yes. If the Lord says, wait, we wait. If the Lord says, maybe, it's maybe. Hello. We have to learn from David. Saul could not control himself. He was reckless and would do whatever he felt like doing. David was guarded. He was reserved. He allowed the Lord to direct his steps and it made all the difference in his life. There are many just causes that all of us can get sucked into, but we should first inquire of the Lord. Verse three, David's men speak up. 
And the David's men said, behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Kayla against the ranks of the Philistines? So the, the David's men speak up and they say, whoa, hang on, Dave, put on the brakes here. Do you realize, you know, if we go to Kayla, do you realize the implications of what that means? Now, he's already heard from God, but he takes the time to listen to his men. And I want you to get this here. If you're a leader, whoever you lead, if you're the head of the household, whoever, your children, your, your spouse, listen, you and I need to listen to those that we lead. If you're a boss at work, listen to your employees. If you own a business, listen to those who work for you. Hello? You're just, you're just glaring at me now. No, I'm just going to do whatever I want. You're going to have a hard time in life. Learn to listen to those. Well, they're my underlings. Well, learn to listen to them because they see and know things that you at the top don't get to see and know. So David listens to his men. Now, he's already heard from the Lord. He could go, hey, guys, you know what? I'll tell you what. You, I'll do the listening to God, and you just listen to me. He could have just told them. No, but he listens to them. And he takes to heart what they have to say. And the truth is that his men have a really valid point. Because, you know, tactically, it's a huge risk for David to bring his force out into the open. Not only will he have to fight the Philistines, and I don't know if you realize this, but when you fight in combat, you take casualties. Warfare is not bloodless, and he's probably going to lose men. Even though God said to go. When God said to go, it was go, but it wasn't going to be a bloodless battle. So, you know, there's that. And also, the minute he surfaces out of the shadows, Saul's going to know about it. He's going to instantly come up on Saul's radar. Saul is going to know where they are. Now, the men bring up two valid points. David's heard from the Lord. He listens to his men. And then he does something in, in verses four, four and five. He inquires of the Lord again. Now, this is important here. He says, then David inquired of the Lord once more. Well, not only was he willing to go once, but he was willing to go twice. That's self-control. And he inquires of the Lord, and the Lord says, Arise, go down to Kayla, for I will give the Philistines into your hands. I don't know about you, that's enough for me. So David and his men went to Kayla and fought the Philistines and led away their livestock and struck them with a great slaughter. Thus David delivered the inhabitants of Kayla. So he hears God, he inquires twice, God tells him what to do, and the outcome is as good as it can get. Here, I want you to see the outcome. You know, David beats the Philistines back. He delivers his countrymen from the raid. They don't steal their harvest. He walks away with some much-needed cattle. Now, really, it says he took their cattle and then he whipped their butts. Amen. Take the stake and then fight the fight. Okay. Now an army travels what? On Visa and MasterCard? Stomach, right? Everybody pat your belly this morning. You're not listening to me. An army travels on its stomach. So the obedience to the Lord rendered provisions for David. Understand anytime we're obedient to God, there's a blessing attached to it. And that blessing is, you know, that he has supplies and he has sustenance and he was able to deliver his countrymen. It's a win-win across the board. You and I, when we listen to the Lord, it's always a win-win. There's never a downside of listening to the Lord. Well, I didn't get to do what I wanted to do. It was probably going to be trouble anyway. Oh, praise the Lord. And so he listens. It's a good result. Uh, he leads away the cattle. They have the much needed provisions. Verse six is a reminder here. We're gonna move into a next section, but the text wants us just a reminder that Abathar, the priest, is with David. Now remember, 
Abiathar is the only priest that survived the slaughter of all the priests at Nob. Remember this. He's the one remnant, and he comes to David. And he has the linen ephod with him, which means he can put on the priestly garment, he can go before the Lord and inquire of the Lord for David, and God will speak to him. So the fact that the text wants us to know that David has the priest with him and that he has an ephod is, is showing, again, the contrast between him and Saul. Saul is separated from God. He's spiritually in the dark. He has no ability to discern what the Lord is saying or what he should do or shouldn't do. Basically, he's like an animal at this point, just being led by his instinct. Saul is in the dark spiritually. David is in the light. He has a priest with him. He has a prophet with him. We've seen the prophet prophesy to him and give him direction. Now we have a priest that's going to inquire of the Lord. What an awesome asset it is for us as the people of God to have the insight of God in crisis. That no matter what we go through, we can inquire of the Lord and he will speak to us. And listen, that is an awesome asset. There's times in life, no matter how experienced we are, no matter how smart we are, no matter how savvy we think we are, there are going to be moments in life where we have no idea what to do. And if you've never got into a situation like that, either you're dense or you're lying to yourself. Because there are times in life where I get, and I have all this experience, and I have all this ability to discern, and I have all these spiritual gifts, but I'm like, Lord, I have no idea what to do right now. I've done everything I know to do. And then to inquire of the Lord and hear from the Lord, what an asset that is for us. Develop your spiritual hearing. Inquire. Learn to ask of the Lord and receive answers from him. Learn to develop your spiritual hearing before you're in crisis. Because when you're in crisis, your emotions are all lathered up. And sometimes, I got to be honest, it gets hard to hear the Lord. Then we need to go to others who are not emotionally lathered up and have them inquire for us. Have you ever been there? Come on. And so he has the priest with him, and they remind us of that in verse 6. Now, David... uh, is going to have some interactions here with the Lord and some questions are going to be proposed. But basically, verses 7 through 14, this whole section displays the dark side of human nature. And I want to, wait, I want to make a point before I jump into those verses. Most people, here's the, here's the dark side of human nature that we're going to see in these verses. Most people will do what they think is good for them, even if they know it's not right. I'm going to say that again. Most people will do what they think is good for them in the moment, even if they know it's not right. Well, it's not right, but God will forgive me. It's not right, but it'll be easier. It's not right, but I'm going to do it anyway. Now, let's not raise our hands at this point. (laughs) Yeah, I do that all the time. No, (laughs) But, but that's human nature. And that's human nature without Christ and without the character of God, that people just do what's good for them in the moment. We're going to see that in such a disappointing way here. Just as David's men feared, the moment that they are exposed and the moment that they engage the Philistines, David is, you know, he's on Saul's radar now. Saul immediately knows of it. Oh, David's Aquila. He's fighting for Aquila. He's fighting the Philistines. Saul immediately knows it. Now, David is holed up in a fortified city and he's, he's about to be engaged by a larger 
force here. Now, I want you to listen to what Saul says here. And there again, it shows where Saul's head is at. When it was told Saul, verse 7, that David had come to Keilah, Saul said, now listen to this, God has delivered him into my hands, for he has shut himself in entering a city with double gates and bars. Now, let's just stop right there. Saul knows that God's rebuked him, knows that the Holy Spirit's been withdrawn from him, knows that David's been anointed king, but in his twisted, manic state, he just says, God has delivered him into my hands. <laughs> nothing could, look, nothing could be further from the truth here that God has delivered him into his hands. It's a twisted mentality he has. And I wanna say something. The wicked often don't know that they're wicked. The wicked often think that they're righteous. Being wicked is like having garlic breath. You're usually the last to know. They're barely alive out there. But you know, he has no connection to God. He, he's not hearing from the Lord. The prophets won't even come near Saul. Samuel's like, hey, get away, buddy. And you know, he has no interaction yet. He thinks God has delivered into my hands. You know, he's holed up in this fortified place. He's cornered himself and I'm gonna go get him. Saul is totally off base at this point. Now, uh, Saul in verse eight mobilizes his entire fighting force and he gets ready to go down to Kayla and smash David there and just surround him and siege him and, and get him. And, you know, his mind is in a different place, but God is with David. Now, verses nine through 12, this is where it gets really rich. These are the verses that show the absolute necessity of us being able to hear God because David hears God and it makes all the difference. It saves him. It says in verse nine, now David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him. So he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Calah to destroy the city on my account. Now listen, he asked God two very specific questions. Will the men of Calah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down just as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Verse 12, then David said, will the men of Calah surrender me and my men into the hands of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. The depravity of human nature. Two pointed questions. Now, when you're inquiring of the Lord, be specific. Don't ask God everything except what you really want to know the answer to. <laughs> I don't know why, but we think we'll get coy with God. Well, you know, we'll just scope around it and maybe he'll inadvertent. No, be specific with God. David's questions are perfect. They're specific. And, and they're, they're just, I mean, he says, will Saul come down to Kayla to kill me? Great question. Number two, will the men of the city give me up when Saul comes? Great question. And the answer is crystal clear. The answer to the first question, he will come down. The answer to the second question, they will surrender you. Wow. The men of Kayla, God knew their hearts and their human nature and their, the weakness of character would allow them to betray a man who just saved them. Now think about this. David risked his own neck to save these guys and in their hearts, they think if Saul comes here, we're turning this guy in. Maybe we'll get a reward. Wow. The depravity of human nature on display. No integrity, no loyalty, and no gratitude. And sometimes that's all you can expect from people. No integrity, 
no gratitude, no loyalty. We shouldn't put much stock in men. We shouldn't put our hopes in men because the human nature of men will disappoint us every time. You and I, as David did, should trust in the Lord. You and I should inquire of God. You and I should not trust others, no matter how sweet their words sound. Come on this morning. They'll come down. He's going to come to kill you, and these men are going to give you up. What a sad situation here. It's, it's really, it's almost discouraging to think that David treated them one way, and they're ready to give him up as soon as it's convenient. The word of the Lord in verse 13 is crystal clear, and because it's crystal clear, David gets the preemption from God to flee Kayla, and he slips back into the shadows, and Saul feels that he's been outfoxed by David somehow again. And really, it's not just David's cunningness or his stealth or his savvy. It's the hand of the Lord protecting David. It's the word of the Lord protecting David. It's the plan of God protecting David. And so... Verse 14, he's a fugitive on the run again. And Saul is pursuing him every day. Think about that. This, the king of a kingdom has got nothing else to do except pursue one man who did nothing wrong to him. It's, it's demonic in nature. He hates the fact that God is with David, that God's anointed David king, and he can't deal with it. And somehow, some way, he invests all his time because he's obsessed with David, and he pursues him every day. The text says, God did not deliver him into Saul's hand. The only thing that's saving David now is the divine protection of God. While David is hiding from Saul, something unexpected happens in verses 15 through 18. Jonathan finds where David is, and he goes to him. Now understand, when Jonathan and David departed from each other the last time, if you remember, they were shooting arrows as a signal of Saul's intention. They, they found out that Saul was planning to kill David. Jonathan told him, you got to go. They hugged each other. They made a covenant. There was tears involved. These guys were best friends, and they thought, we may never see each other again at that moment when they parted, yet they do see each other again. And it's a very important moment for David here. It shows the integrity of Jonathan that even as the situation gets hotter and hotter, he still stands firm in his integrity and sides with David. Why? Because he knows God is with David, so he won't stand against God even to stand with his own father. Now, in verse 17, Jonathan comes to David as an encourager. And this is what I want you to see here. He says, thus he said to him, do not be afraid because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you and you will be king over Israel and I will be next to you. And Saul, my father, knows that also. So <laughs> look at the encouragement that he brings here. How many are just thankful for people who will take the time to encourage us? Amen. Amen. There's a lot of critics in the world. There's a lot of people who know everything who like to tell you what to do. But there's very few encouragers. <laughs> it's getting more and more depressing here. <laughs> now you're discouraged. Okay, well, let me encourage you. There are encouragers in the body of Christ and we should be thankful for them. And sometimes, you know, it's more that you just get in people's grill and you're like, well, your life is all messed up because you're a knucklehead and here's what you did wrong. So do X, Y, and Z and get back to me when you get your life in order. We don't need people like that when we're hurting. 
We need someone to come alongside of us and just wrap their arm around us and say, it's going to be okay, Elias. It's going to be all right. Somebody just to listen to us and maybe shed a tear with us. Those people are precious. And if you have them in your life, be thankful for them. And if you dare to, be one of them. Jonathan was an encourager. He came, and we're going to talk about this a little bit too, because encouragers are, while they're necessary, not everything they say is on the mark, and we need to be aware of that as well. Uh, He comes to him to encourage him, and he basically tells him, you know what, don't be afraid. That's the first thing that he says to him, and and that's an important thing to understand, because fear can easily grip us in the crises of life. So Jonathan says, don't be afraid. Why not? My father won't find you. Wow. Jonathan has quite a bit of confidence in David's calling to know that this guy's, see, he was convinced in his heart, he's destined for the throne and my dad is not going to stop him. That's an encouragement. He says to David, you will be king soon. That's a true thing too. And then he says, I will be by your side. Now that's encouraging. Everything he said was encouraging, but only three out of the four things he said are going to prove to be true right? And I want you to be aware of that. Don't be afraid. That's good. Saul's not going to catch you. That's true. You're going to be king. That's true. I'm going to sit by your side. (laughs) What do we have for him, Johnny? A parting gift? You see, sometimes people encourage us and they say what they hope is true, but realize there's a difference between us encouraging one another and a thus saith the Lord. We should be really careful with the thus saith the Lord. Because I've been around a long time and I've heard a lot of thus saith the Lord's that have never come to pass. And that's a dangerous thing. I've seen people speak over people who are trying to get pregnant and say, you're going to have a baby and never had a baby. Wow. You know, we've seen stuff in the body of Christ where people tell us things, maybe things we want to hear, things they hope will happen. But there's a difference between encouragement and thus saith the Lord. Take people's encouragement and let it encourage you but don't take it as if it's the word of the Lord and it's absolutely the way it's going to come to pass. I've had people who tried to encourage me who told me everything wrong. And in the end, none of what they said came to pass. And I got to be honest with you, my respect for them plummeted to the point where I wouldn't take counsel from them at all anymore. Let's be careful. So don't be afraid. You're going to be king. Uh, My father won't find you all true, all encouraging. Uh, Jonathan knows Uh, the heart of God here, but he's not 100% accurate in his encouragement. Uh, Saul, he also says, my father knows this. What what does your father know? Your father knows that Jonathan sided with David, and his father knew that David was going to be king. Isn't it amazing that Saul fights against something that he knows is the will of God? And we do this too. We fight against something that, we fight against things that we know uh, God said are going to come to pass. As if somehow we could derail or undermine or slow down or sidetrack the, the will of God. If God said it, we should just accept it. There's things in scripture that God has said about the end times and the last days and the, the things and wars and rumors and wars and all these to come. And you and I can't delay it at all. We can't hasten it by preaching the gospel. The word says that. But we can't stop it. Wow. Sometimes we just have to accept he's God and we're not. 
Joseph and David reaffirm their pledges and their covenants to each other. Every time these guys together, they're encouraging one another. They're uh, promising each other what they're going to do. David's like, I'm going to be good to you when I'm king. Jonathan's, I'm going to support you. They bring that before the Lord. They, they, they reaffirm their covenant and then they part ways. You know, Jonathan goes back to, to his life of luxury, really, and David goes back to hiding in the shadows. But it's an encouraging moment for David. Verses 19 and 20. Uh, here come the Ziphites, and the Ziphites know where David's at. Remember, we said Saul had all the eyes and ears. The Ziphites came up to Saul from Gibeah saying, is David not hiding in the strongholds of Horesh in the hills of Hakalin, which is on the south of Jeshimon? So, you know, a little bit of a riddle there, but basically they're saying, the, apparently the Ziphites couldn't get to the point, but they're saying, we know where David's at, Okay. And we, we know, Saul, why don't you come down? And, you know, we, we got him. We know where he is. And so uh, they, they're telling Saul to come down and to get him. In verse 21, look, look at Saul's response here. There again, Saul, not knowing his own spiritual condition. Saul said, may you be blessed of the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. I want to just analyze that statement just for a second right there. The Ziphites do what they do. They tell uh, the king where David is at. Now Saul turns around and he blesses them in the name of the Lord. Saul, and not only that, he says, the Lord should bless you. Why? Because you've had compassion on me. Saul is the classic narcissist. It's always all about him. Come on, you know people like that. If you're one of them, you're probably just staring at me now like, don't, don't go there. But it's always all about Saul. Oh, God bless you because you've been good to me. Meanwhile, God's up there going, I, I'm not even with you, buddy. And, and think about this. He's blessing people in the name of the Lord when he has no connection to the Lord. There's a lot of people who are spiritual and they seem religious and they act like they are connected to God, but they're not. And not only don't we, we don't need their blessing, their blessing has no weight to it. You and, you and I can't bless people. We can't do anything in the name of the Lord. We can't do anything in the power of the Holy Spirit. We, we can't do anything in the name of Jesus unless we have dedicated ourselves to Jesus and are filled with the Holy Spirit and are born again. Saul's on the outside, still acting like he's on the inside. It's what I said. The wicked are usually the last to know they're wicked. He's pronouncing blessings that are nothing but religious. They have no weight to him. And he still, it's all about himself. Saul is on the outside, spiritually blind. He's religious, speaking empty words, blessing people with no authority, with no weight. In verses 22 and 23, Saul is savvy, though. He's still a skilled military tactician. He tells the Ziphites, he says, stalk David, covertly, pattern him, learn where he goes, learn where he moves, learn where he sleeps, then come back to me and report it, because he had been accustomed at this point to David's elusiveness. So he's not willing to move him or his army and chase shadows and chase ghosts. He wants to know when you got him dead to rights and know exactly where he is, call me and we'll come on down. This kind of shows that the tempo of, of Saul's pursuit has probably worn him out a little bit. I don't know about you, but riding around on horses and riding through the mountains and going into these remote places has got to be exhausting for old Saul. Yeah. And he's like, all right, thanks, guys. When you find him and you got him and you see him, 
call me, I'll come down. But, you know, there again, Saul is used to not, uh, not you know, he's chasing, he's chasing, he's chasing, and it's exhausting him a little bit. Verses 24 through 26, Saul finally closes in on David. At, at one point, this, these two verses describe that Saul's force is on one side of an army, uh, one side of a mountain, and David is on the other. Think about that. They're on both sides of a mountain, a base of a mountain. So Saul is uh, trying to encircle him to, to lock him down. David has a small force. He's trying to hustle and slip through because Saul is just about to catch him. You know, you and I should understand this is the height of, of pressure here for David. He's literally running for his life. I don't know if you've ever had someone chase you with the intent to kill you. <laughs> Some of us are from the Bronx and stuff, so I mean, that, that's just Monday, you know. But I mean, this is high stake stuff. My dad said he used to have to put his sneakers on after school and run home. Some of us have had to run. Some of us have never felt, you know, that anxiety. But this is as real as it gets. And I want you to understand that. I want you to put yourself in that position if you were David and you're running for your life and you're covered in your gear and you have your sword and you're hustling and you got all these people to worry about. I mean, it is just the apex of pressure. God is using that pressure in David's life and God is with him. Now, he's trying to hustle through so he doesn't get encircled by Saul. In verses 27 and 28, God intervenes. And we see this. It says here... Um, in, in 26, Saul went on one side of the mountain, David and his men on the other side of the mountain. David was hurrying to get away from Saul. High tension, for Saul and his men were surrounding David, and his men meant to seize him. But a messenger came to Saul. Oh, just in the nick of time. What a coincidence here. A messenger came to Saul and said, hurry, come, for the Philistines have made a raid on the land. I want you to see this. David is just about to get caught, and who saves him are the Philistines. Yeah. <laughs> doing what Philistines do. They're attacking Israel. And now Saul is called away from something that's really not his business to something that he should have been doing in the first place, protecting Israel. You know, when you and I are not doing what God's called us to do, trouble usually will brew for us. And that's exactly what you're seeing here with Saul. It's not a coincidence. It's the hand of God. God is using, I mean, just in that instant, just in as the noose is about to close, just as they're about to get him, Israel is under attack and Saul has to leave immediately. So he breaks off the chase and he goes after the Philistines to, and David slips through. Now look what it says here in 28. It says, so Saul returned from pursuing David and went to meet the Philistines. Therefore, they called that place the Rock of Escape. So they named the place. Why? Because God moved on their behalf there. Right. And, and they realized their escape was perpetuated by the hand of God. Now it said, David went from there and stayed in the strongholds of En Gedi. So Saul's broken off pursuit out of necessity. Uh, David slips away again. God preserves him. But as the chapter closes down, I want to make this final point. Why, if God wanted to just protect David, couldn't he just tuck him away in a foreign country where he wouldn't have to run for his life and then just give Saul, you know, uh, uh, a heart attack? And then, yeah, it's not that easy, right? But why isn't it that easy? Why does God make it difficult? Let's just be honest. God could have made this a lot easier on David. Yeah. Yeah. David was minding his own business. He's out tending the sheep. He's happy. He's out there. He's alone. Nobody bothering him. <laughs> Playing his harp. Yeah. Yeah. And God's like, oh, we're going to anoint you king. 
And David's like, all right. Oil all over him. And now he's running for his life. I don't know about you, but I've been in leadership a long time. Sometimes you think, eh, this isn't worth it. It's a, yeah, if you've ever been, and David, I mean, I'm looking at God, and I have to ask the question, maybe you've asked it too, God, why don't you give him a break? Why don't you just make it easy on him? And I feel that because this is part of David's formation, the part of the, him forming his character. Now I've heard that all the time. You're not working to your potential and God wants to form your character. I'm just like, just leave me alone. My, char my character is good enough. I'm a character. Just leave me alone. But God knows. <laughs> Some of you out there, you should just be crying right now. <laughs> but God's got a bigger purpose for David. He's going to be on the throne. He's going to deal with even more difficult situations than this. So God doesn't make it easy for him. And here's why. Because David is learning life lessons through this crisis. The first one he's learning is to have faith. It's in the nick of time, God shows up. In the nick of time, we just slipped through. We just escaped. He's learning that no matter how it looks, you can trust God. These are lessons of faith we've got to learn. Come on, if you and I never have any close calls, if life is just so easy and it's like, you know, oh, skipping around, we wouldn't have character. We wouldn't have grit. We wouldn't have integrity. We wouldn't have faith. We don't like crisis. We don't like pressure. We don't like life and death. We don't like the, the precipice of financial ruin. But it produces faith in us. David's learning to deal with pressure. He's learning how to overcome fear. He's learning how to control his emotions. This is something that, you know, some of us never learn. I've known people in, in their 70s and 80s that still haven't learned to control their emotions, haven't learned to control their tongue. It just doesn't come with age. You know, how many times in life do you think, I hope I outgrow this? I can tell you from the vantage point of 50, you don't outgrow too much stuff. You get crotchetier and less patience. Somebody's clapping. <laughs> you remember, I had a lot more patience when I was younger. So, you know, he's learning these lessons to control his emotions, to deal with fear, to, to hear God. Think, think about the invaluable lesson to inquire of the Lord and to get an answer and then to execute the answer and watch everything work. What a lesson that is. He's learning to trust God completely. So if at any moment you look at this and go, God, this is just unnecessary roughness. This is just ridiculous how you're treating this guy. You think about what Joseph went through as we studied Joseph in Genesis on Wednesday nights if you're here. You know, unnecessary, but yet we're not God. And he knows what's necessary. Just as he knew what was in the hearts of the men at Kalah that they would turn him in, he knows what's in my heart and he knows what's in yours. And he knows what he has to do to Rick to get that stuff out of his heart. And he knows what he has to do with you. Let's bow our heads this morning. <laughs> Father, we just thank you for all the gems that you've tucked in these texts. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for opening them up to us today under the anointing that we could receive them and, and build them into our lives. Father, we, we don't want to just hear what we've heard this morning, but we want to be doers of it. Teach us to have integrity and to be those who will sacrifice and those who will do what's right, even when it's not convenient for us in the moment. Help us not give in to the depravity of our human nature, but allow us to embrace crisis that forms us into the image of Christ. You didn't come to make it easy for us. 
You came to make us look like Jesus so that we could be lights in the darkness. We thank you for that and we embrace it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads. This morning, maybe you, your life feels like David. Maybe you feel like you, you run from one situation to the next. There's crisis after crisis. There's drama after drama. And maybe you, at this moment, feel like even though you know about Jesus, you've never surrendered your life to him. The difference between David and Saul was that Saul knew about God and David knew God. Many of us know about God, but until we surrender to Jesus Christ and accept him as Savior and Lord, we don't know him. So this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to come and to accept Jesus Christ on a personal level. The Bible says if we'll confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we would be saved. He made it so simple. Because he loves us, and he loves you. And he's not willing that any should perish. So this morning, if you say, Pastor, I've tried... I try to be a good person. I try to do good things. I've tried to live a holy life, but I've failed. There's grace this morning. There's forgiveness this morning. There's a clean slate and a fresh start this morning. For all those who call on the name of the Lord would be saved. God made it so simple if we would accept what Jesus did for us on the cross and receive him personally, he would forgive our sins and we would be born again. And from that moment forward, we would belong to him. He'll fill you with the Holy Spirit and give you the power to live a different life. He can break the chains of addiction. He can overcome your fears and he can settle the destiny of your soul by just a decision of your will this morning. If you're here and you say, I want a clean slate, I want a fresh start, I want grace, I want forgiveness, I want to give my life to Christ, I want you to slip up your hand this morning. If there's any here that need Jesus, don't leave this place without him. Most important decision that you'll ever make this morning. God bless you, that hand. Ushers, put a packet in those who are raising their hands. Don't miss this moment. Make sure you're right with him. Uh, for those who raise their hand, let's pray a prayer together. Lord Jesus, I come to you a sinner, and I know you died to save me. So I receive you as my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I repent of them. Teach me to live a different way. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. From this moment forward, I belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Welcome to the family of God.